This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. And I think that education on self is even more key. Yeah. It just reached a point where I literally would receive a new death threat on a weekly basis. She grabbed me and held me yeah. saying, I love you. It's going to be okay. I love you. Welcome back to Redefine You, a conversation for well-being, where we have open and honest conversations with friends to explore their ownership of self and mental well-being journey. As when one shares their vulnerability in such a way, we're encouraged to look within. Redefine You is meant to inspire you to look within and guide you to lead a life being grounded in you. Now, my guest today is literally one of the rarest, most empowering people on earth, but his strength can be an example to everyone. Born with a rare form of dwarfism, Brandon Farbstein's life is one of the most universally human lives I have ever known. He is an empowering life speaker, author of 10 Feet Tall, and so much more. His journey of self-love, self-acceptance, and service to others is a map of the most beautiful aspects of human nature and a reminder of the enduring rewards that come with personal responsibility. Brandon, I am so excited to have you. I can't even tell you. You have been somebody that I've looked up to in the past two years of my life. Every time that we have a discussion on a panel together, I am enthralled by the knowledge that you give, the life that you lead, and just the love and compassion that you have towards every single person that you talk to. So thank you so much for coming on today. You're so sweet, Haley. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait for this. Well, as we start every episode of the pod, I always ask if you were going to check in with yourself right here, right now, what would you find? That's a great question. I would say in my mind right now, there's quite a lot. uh, It's a mess. It's not very organized. I'm not a very organized person. So there's that. Um, But right now, we've obviously been in such an interesting time in the last Mm -hmm. almost two years. Uh, which is crazy to think about um, since quarantine and, and all of that began. But I am very much in the boat of my life as I knew it, which I loved. I loved the path that I was on. I loved doing the things that I had the privilege and blessing to do, whether that was personally or professionally. And then, mm-hmm. of course, the pandemic rolled around and all of this connection and traveling and movement totally stopped. And with that, my spirit definitely took a huge hit. Mm. And it really reaffirmed to me that I couldn't wrap all of my worth in my platform or Mm. in the external validation that I was getting from other people. I had to find what was inside of me that was obviously so much greater than any of the things that I was working on or accomplishing that I didn't have to rely on for happiness or like I said, validation. And it was a huge journey to kind of unpack all of that. And I think I'm still unpacking it. And so it's definitely on an ongoing basis, finding what self-care really looks like and honoring my own boundaries, not doing the things that I was doing pre-COVID in the same way that I was doing it, because obviously things are just happening on a much different level now. And I think we have to honor that within ourselves and what's going on in the world as well. And all of that to say it is a constant work in progress. And I'm lucky that I'm still here. And I still have really exciting things in my life to look forward to and an amazing support system. Well, I mean, I think it's a great point to to start with, even in the sense of, I get you, you know, like I had the same thing. I traveled, 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 and now I'm standstill in one place. And even though things are opening up, 
our lives professionally aren't necessarily where they were or probably will ever go back to where they were, right? right? So it's adapting to this actual new idea now that things are opening up because we thought maybe things would open up, maybe they would go back, but now it's still this, okay, we're opening up in a personal way, but professionally, we still need to adapt to virtual events and figuring out different ways of communication. You talk so much about your life experience. So I would love to start from the beginning because I think that that is a great example to even talk about where you are today and how things can shift and the lessons that you learned maybe when you were younger maybe helps you a lot with this past year and being able to pick your boots back up and say, hey, okay, I'm going to get through this because I have the tools now. Um, that you that you teach so effortlessly. So let's start with just your upbringing. What was that like? You know, where did you grow up? How was that experience for you and your own perspective and so forth? Yeah. So as you mentioned in the intro, I was born with a very rare form of dwarfism. And to just give a little bit more context to that, I'm one of 84 people in medical history. So in like billions and billions of people that have been recorded in the medical books and whatnot, I'm obviously one of a handful of people to be born with this condition. And so it's come with a life of uncertainty, not knowing Mm -hmm. exactly what the next phase or chapter of my well-being of my journey would look like, whether that was with my bones or with the way that my body grew or whatever it was. And that being a constant factor, which I think led to me needing to innovate my own solution, like discover the answers that obviously I I wasn't getting from doctors or from medical professionals. So I had to kind of come up with my own way of, of handling life and the things that came my way. And it was really, I think, a period of 10 slash 11 years old when I discovered how different I really was from everyone else around me. Because at that point in childhood, the height difference became really Mm. apparent as we uh, kept leveling or not leveling, going up a grade and uh, aging up, everyone would grow. And I would maybe go up a couple of inches every year, but definitely, um, that's when it became apparent. And so the teasing and the exclusion started from that point. And I just began loathing who Mm. I was because I saw no reason of, of being this guy that completely stood out in such a negative way because people would point and stare and laugh and all these things. And I hated it. And I hated me. And it reached a point where things just boiled over when I was Mm. 11 years old and I came home from school one day and I said to my mom, I don't want to do this anymore. There's no reason for me to be here. Life is just going to be more pain and me being miserable and I'm going to kill myself. And I marched up to my room and slammed the door and of course, she was only like 30 seconds behind me. But in that time frame, I had gotten a belt and uh, was nearly in the process of finishing to wrap it around my neck before she came in the room and just grabbed me and held yeah. me for at least 15 minutes, just holding me with the tightest hug, saying, I love you. It's going to be okay. I love you. And that was the catalyst to get the professional help that I, of course, needed to unpack all of those things that I was going through, both internally and around me from how the world was reacting to me. And therapy was a lifesaver for me in in every sense of the way. And it took six different counselors to finally find the one where I was comfortable enough, but also I felt seen and heard by. And as you talk so openly about, that is huge when you find the right fit and you're able to open up to them and not carry all that weight on your chest. And I think it's so much about 
just sharing these parts of ourself that we have maybe shame or guilt or these negative attachments to, because obviously they're not comfortable. They're Mm. painful for a reason, because I think the lessons that they teach us and the emotional state that those things make us go to, nothing else can equip us for life in the same way that adversity can. And when we can embrace that, we're unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I just first want to say thank you for sharing. I know in the sense of how hard that could have been to not have the answers, to know that you had dwarfism, but that you had a rare kind. So even though somebody could have embodied a a life that you thought you were going to experience, there were certain things along the way that you were curious about and didn't have the answers. And when you don't have the answers, that's where the fear of the unknown comes from. So maybe your life experience is so different from maybe another person's, but that fear of the unknown is very similar, especially with this last year and why you're so important to myself and to everybody else to hear your story because you've been dealing with the fear of the unknown since you were little and you've had to overcome it every step of the way and beautiful, positive challenges along the way as well that have taught you a lot. Um, You know, you talk so much about your journey to self-love and your mom being a huge representation of that. I had the opportunity to listen in and to be a part of a conversation with you not too long ago with We Are Bridging the Gap and your mom got to come on to speak. And first off, I'm just going to say, my mom was texting me during your mom's speech and was like, yes, I love her. She's amazing. (laughs) And she's like, moms unite. Um, But secondly, you know, it just was so wonderful to hear her perspective as well, because I think that that period of time that you two had to experience this together as the parent and the child and being able to champion this life together. What was that like for her? And, you know, what was that like for you guys and your relationship moving forward? Has she always been a great support system for you battling your mental health challenges moving forward into high school years? Well, first thing I'll say is I am so blessed to have two super supportive parents that have always been my biggest advocates, my biggest um, supporters along the way. But my mom and I's relationship is the closest with anyone that I have and, and I've ever had. And she just understands me in a way that nobody else has been able to. And that is so special to me. And to be honest, I didn't value it up until more recently as I'm now maturing and becoming the person that I am, but also just recognizing how much of a gift that unwavering support and never ending love is. And it's actually now reached a point. I think we are at the three or four year anniversary of her working with me as my ah. full-time manager. And so no that's way. been the coolest journey, getting to experience all of this amazingness with her and just getting to explore the world in the way that it's been presented to me in the last couple of years. It's been so much fun having her by my side. And there's obviously nothing like having the person that you could trust the most in a mm-hmm. lot of instances she's the one that I have full faith in and and full, like she's running the ship in a lot of ways. And I'm definitely kind of setting the the course and how we're being creative and whatnot, but it's with her support still to this day that I'm able to do what I do. And that is so special. I I love it. I really, really do. And I could hear that in you guys' conversations through it. But it was really important, I think, to talk about uh, the support 
of family and just a loved one in general. It doesn't necessarily have to be your bloodline, you know, but at the end of the day, just the support of somebody when you're going through a challenging moment and discovery of self, it's really important to have somebody that you can confide in, especially when it comes to having medical challenges along the way as well. Um, You know, you talk openly about cyberbullying in high school. Now, for anybody who doesn't know, you're just 21 years old. So it wasn't too long ago that you experienced all of this. And I want to know what that experience was like for you and how you've overcome it. Because the reason why I say it's not been too long ago is because you have achieved so much in such a short period of time. So for anybody who's listening that may be going through cyberbullying, I would love for them to hear a little bit more in depth into your story. Yeah. So this is something that, as you can imagine, Ever since I joined social media, basically, it's something I've dealt with, not necessarily from a place of hate, but from people never coming across somebody like me or somebody who's mm-hmm. so different from how they live their life. And so I can understand it now. But back then, when it really turned to hell, the very first week of my freshman year of high school, It started with a tweet with a video of me on my Segway mobility device in the hall of my high school saying the first person to punt the midget off the Segway gets $5. And I think it had like 200 retweets, uh, tons of favorites, people from my high school, from the surrounding high schools. It was obviously beyond humiliating, but also I felt so unsafe from the very beginning. And so that was my welcome to high school, with, which was basically putting myself in fight or flight mode every time I went into that building, like literally every single time. And it got to a point where they weren't just attacking my physical looks, but it turned to anti-Semitism because I'm Jewish, um, to anything that they could find. This was even after I had given my TEDx talk. So I thought things would get a little bit better because they would understand me and they would finally get to hear me instead of yeah. just seeing me as the kid on the Segway. Obviously, I was so much more than that, but they never gave me the chance. And it just got worse, unfortunately, with all of the added attention that the world outside of that building was giving me. But inside the building, they were just using it as more fuel to hate and degrade and harass me. And so it just reached a point where I literally would receive a new death threat on a weekly basis from the peers at my school whether it be midget, if you don't kill yourself next Thursday, I'm going to shank you in the kidney, or I'm going to put an IED on the Hyundai in your driveway, which never posted about having a Hyundai. Um, But, you know, they drove by my house and saw that I, so it, it just was terrifying. And it tore me apart in ways beyond just academically or emotionally, but every aspect of my life. And so I said to my parents, this is toxic and I can't put myself in this environment anymore. And I made the decision to continue my education online. So the school system did absolutely nothing to assist me or my family, both with any of the bullying incidents, but with the online education, knowing that that kind of was my only option because I was getting all these threats and whatnot, but also the police department did absolutely nothing. And when these threats became so utterly real because they were graphic and they were specific, like you, you it makes me so angry by the way. Yeah. So sorry. No, absolutely. It makes me so angry. And it's, it's also from an emotional level and from a human level, some of the worst things that another person can say to you, that you're Mm. too ugly to ever find somebody that's going to love you, which being 15, 16, 17, that was everything to hear because that I, I formed my opinion of myself based on what I thought other people thought of me. And so I, of course, had no confidence 
no self-love, no ounce of being proud of the person that I was. Even that was after I had publicly come out and in front of 2000 people shared my story for the first time. It was very vulnerable, real, um, and just transparent. And it still wasn't enough for me to find that within myself. And so it took me needing to obviously get out of that school and out of the environment to get a complete 180 in terms of my mental health and well-being, which was so beneficial. But it also took internal work. I couldn't just rely on going to therapy or doing things here and there. I had to recognize that it's up to me to write my own definition of myself. It's up to me to drive the ship forward instead of letting other people dictate the journey that I'm going to be on. And that was the period of my life that I turned to personal development. And I started getting obsessed with podcasts and books and courses and YouTube videos and motivational speakers. And that literally changed everything for me because I recognized that, again, I had the power, not these mm -hmm. assholes that were hiding behind a screen and would never say anything to my face. But it really is that difference that I think allowed me to step into my truth to share all of this because not only am I able to help other people that are going through something similar to see that they absolutely aren't alone and it very much so gets better and there's a light at the end of the tunnel but the part that I'm most proud of is that I use that experience to testify at the Virginia General Assembly in front of state yeah. lawmakers and got two pieces of legislation passed on bullying prevention and requiring emotional intelligence to be taught in every K-12 classroom across the state. And with that, I want to prove that you don't need to be confined by any adversity, any trauma that comes your way. We get to have the choice of what we do with what's been handed to us. And it's not gonna be an easy thing where we snap our fingers and all of a sudden have bravery and strength and, and perseverance through the roof to pound whatever's in our way. Because as we all know, it's a process. It's mm -hmm. something that we have to evolve into for our own mental health and self-care. And so with all of that, I'm just, very lucky that I found my voice at a young age and I was able to share that with the world, but also for these bullies and the fact that hurt people hurt people. It shows that that's not going to win, but instead love and empathy and positivity will always freaking win. Wow, my friend, you are a force to be reckoned with, to say the least. And, you know, I want to touch on a couple of things that you just said. First off, just starting with cyberbullying in general, um, you know, you've turned that into having now such an empowering platform for the motivational speakers that maybe got you into this place. You're now one of them. So for anybody who may be fearful of taking that leap, what would you say to them is to turn your, you know, turn your platform into the positive you're looking for or yes. you're wanting? A hundred percent. And that drive, that inner passion of being the person that you need right here and right now, or the person that you needed when you were at a dark chapter or a painful point in your life that you didn't have the clarity, you didn't have the answers, or you didn't have the inspiration. But to be that person, even if we're just showing them that they aren't alone in their experience, that's everything. Yeah, it truly is. And then to go off to, you know, the two laws that you passed, where do you see that going and what is necessarily being taught? And the reason I ask this is because I want to know if somebody 
wants to use sort of the curriculum that's being taught now at the schools that you passed in their own households or maybe encourage it to their classrooms that their child is attending, what can they do or what does that look like? Yeah. So the first bill that we had passed is requiring administrators to alert parents within five days of any bullying incident. And for some reason, that had to be a law and wasn't common sense, which yeah. uh, it still kind of blows my mind, but it still is a step in the right direction. And then the other one, which I'm most proud of and I think has the, the real power to it, is requiring empathy and emotional intelligence to be taught in every K-12 classroom, which basically starting in kindergarten, they are modeled, what does being a kind person look like? And from there, it's emotional boundaries and obviously age-specific and appropriate content that they are able to firsthand see, oh, well, this is what it means to um, have empathy versus feel sorry for somebody and be sympathetic. And that's a high mm. level thing to absorb. But when you're able to unpack it and simplify it in a way that elementary school kids can understand, but also then in middle school and high school, they're able to get age appropriate content as well, that when it comes to social media or sexual relationships or whatever it might be, that obviously other things come into play. Um, we need to understand that they need to be equipped with the tools that they need to handle life in today's day and age. And what I mean by that is we can't assume that the same model of how communication or how emotions or any of those things work based on how social media and technology has directly influenced my generation and then the next generation, which is Gen Alpha. And I think it's that understanding that is sometimes the difference of kids feeling like they're seen and heard and like somebody understands them versus feeling like nobody really is there for them. And mm -hmm. they have to do all of this alone, which as we all know, can result in the utmost tragedies from happening. And um, I just, I think it's so much about being able to model exactly what empathy looks like and not expecting kids to you know play for play do that exact same thing but understanding that they're going to absorb those social skills and that is going to stay with them for the rest of their life education's key right and i think that education on self is even more key yeah. and being able to um showcase the diversity inclusivity at a very young age allows for you to accept the unknown and to love the unknown and to want to learn about the unknown. And I think that that's one of the most beautiful things. And that's why, you know, I think storytelling through TV, film, and music is so important yeah. because it writes that message to our youth at a very young age. Now flip the coin. Let's really talk about being able to educate our youth at a very young age in our schools so that we don't have kids or teenagers feeling like they're alone or not being able to identify with somebody that looks or feels like them, because that is true. That's when a crisis moment can happen. Um, and, you know, a lot can happen at home where you feel like you have the support, but when you go to school and you feel like you're unsupported, it is, it is a very scary place and it can be very scary for many yeah. people. And it's crazy to think, I'm sorry, but it is, it's just the authorities don't, don't talk about it enough that they don't speak up about if their child is being bullied. I mean, I've heard this time and time again, you know, and maybe this is time and time again of stories from the past, but I don't know where, you know, our school systems are necessarily today, but it just breaks my heart. It just, it really, really does. And to think of my child going through something of that, or even what I went through or what you went through, you know, it's just a, a really uh, a hard thing. But I think when you comes to empathy, 
You speak so great on it. One of the things that I read was empathy to you is the key to authentic human connection and unlocking our inner greatness. And you also speak about how when we widen the lens through which we see ourselves and others, we show up more effective leaders in all we do. Can you elaborate on this? So when we are able to shift the perspective through which we see the world, it totally changes the life that we're living because we're all of a sudden open and we're able to see a new wave of things that I think when we're closed-minded or we are ignorant to something because we just aren't knowledgeable in that subject or in that thing, we don't get to experience life's beauty and the mm. the grace that comes with it. But when we're able to take a step back and understand that sometimes we're standing in our own way and the experiences that we go through can totally skew the lens through which we view ourselves and we view the world around us. So if we're waking up every morning and expecting something bad to happen, looking for the negative, um, trying to find a fault in something, one million percent we're going to find it. But if instead we wake up with an open mind and understand we have control over one thing, which is ourself and our thoughts and our actions and the way that we live our life, that's the one thing that we have control of. But what happens around us or with other people or what comes across our phone screen or whatever it might end up being, that's not in our control. And we have to learn to be content with that, understanding that things are always going to happen that aren't in our favor or that are painful and uncomfortable, all of those things. But that's what it means to be a human being. And if we could have that level of empathy for ourselves to understand it's okay to have days that you stay in bed and you do nothing and you have no motivation, you have no drive. And then some days you feel like you're absolutely unstoppable, like you could do anything and everything. That's okay. As long as you are aware of where you're at, what your mind and body and gut are telling you, don't ignore that. We have that inner voice for a reason. And the more that we could listen to that and really respect our own inner boundaries, I think that's how we remain smoothly throughout life. I mean, obviously there's going to be twists and turns and places where we fall down and all of that, but to keep getting back up and, and on that path again, instead of trying to constantly find our way back, I think that's the biggest gift. And the only way that we can give that to ourselves again is understanding that we're constantly a work in progress and where we were yesterday doesn't have to be where we are today. And under, just understanding that like we have that power and we have the ability to set our own course, but it takes that first step. So whether that's reaching out to a friend going to therapy for the first time, whether in person or online, meditating, any of these things that we just have to start, we have to do. You don't have to change everything for everything to change. One of the biggest things that you talk about as well is finding your purpose is a really big part of your toolbox. Do you feel your purpose can change over time? A hundred percent. I think where our passions lie kind of lead us to what our purpose in that time of our life is. It definitely should evolve. I don't think we are put here to do one thing and that thing alone. That doesn't have to be this like huge, awesome, incredibly like monstrous purpose that we're constantly after. It could be being of service, being somebody that volunteers on a monthly basis, something so small, so simple to us, yet we don't know can have the most profound impact on the person receiving it. 
And the more that we're able to tap into that, I think that's how we leave a life of fulfillment. Because Mm -hmm. when we're able to live a life of service, live a life that falls within our passion and our purpose. I mean, that's the ultimate level, isn't it? So oh, yeah. if if we could, again, just keep listening to where that inner voice is at and what it's telling us and why it's telling us that, it will lead us to the life that I think we're also meant to live. Not some phony facade, social media created, filtered, like bullshit, but let's <laughs> let's find what that true self is and never stop working to live in that place. I think the hard part is, is that sometimes you can question that inner talk, right? <laughs> so you can, it's that, it's that push and shove. It's like a magnet, you know, at the end of the day, you've got society standards telling you one thing, and then you've got the push and oh, shove yeah. of your inner and you're like, what's reality, you know, what, what's, what's the truth behind it all? But it is, it's one step forward. It's just taking that leap of faith to listen. And if you listen and it doesn't go as planned, that's okay. Try again, you know, don't, don't give up. It'll keep, it'll, it'll, you'll keep challenging as, as you grow, but it's okay. Just take that first step forward. You know, you, you have an amazing book. You're an author of 10 feet tall, becoming your greatest hero. It focuses on overcoming adversity and transforming your outlook. How can one transform their outlook within their daily practice besides just living with a positive mindset? Well, the first thing that I think we all need to understand, it is so much easier to give other people advice and to like come up with a roadmap to how we could all live a better life than actually sitting down with ourselves and figuring out what that shit actually looks like. So I just wanted to kind of lay that on the table before we get into this. Um, but where we really have to start is understanding what, not roadblocks, but what limiting beliefs are standing in our way. And that's what I was referring to before, where we are sometimes the ones standing in our way. And that's a story and a loop that we can so often find ourselves in that I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not pretty as all the other people are, Um, whatever that specific thing is. And if we don't consciously allow ourselves to break that pattern, we literally can stay stuck there forever without even knowing it. And for me, what that looked like was at 17, after I had left that high school, was doing all of it online and testifying and doing all these things, I still had to work on myself and find that inner voice that was honestly broken in a lot of ways, but it was not emerged in a lot of other ways. So it was that process of personal development where I was able to, again, like not have to allow those same stories to define what I was doing or how I was living my life. And so we don't have to overwhelm ourselves with thinking that everything in our life has to be like upended or shifted in order to experience something different. Like I just mentioned a minute ago, you don't have to change everything for everything to change. It could be the one thing that you start doing on a daily basis, whether that's giving yourself five or 10 minutes before or after work to listen to music, to meditate, to breathe. It's starting to go to online therapy once a week, whatever that looks like for you, understanding that it's sometimes the most minuscule shifts that have the most profound impacts on our journey. But we have to allow ourselves to give that gift of just starting and doing it and being uncomfortable sometimes, understanding that we have to admit we're not okay when we're not okay, or we're we're not at the level that we want to be at, but not having that shame or guilt attached to it, I think is huge. And so whatever that looks like for you, it doesn't have to be this whole elaborate thing. It honestly could be as simple as five or 10 minutes a day to start. And that could change your entire life. Yeah. 
You know, you play you play such an amazing role in just inclusivity and diversity as a whole. You know, I want to know from you, because you say a lot that we must encourage others to not define others by their disability and rather lean into emphasizing our uniqueness, which I am a huge, huge, huge supporter of. But I do think sometimes people need to hear how to approach these situations better and know that it's okay to ask questions and to just be able to have an open conversation because we're all humans at the end of the day. So I really want to end this conversation by asking you to give us three tools or suggestions for people just to start to apply, to look at others who may look or feel different to them and to have those tools in their back pocket so that they know how to learn how to approach situations better. Well, firstly, this makes me so happy that you are even thinking to ask this question. So thank you, Haley. It means a ton, um, not only to me, but to anybody who's felt invisible or less Mm -hmm. than or othered. We have to understand at the end of the day, you're so spot on. People are people are people are people. Mm -hmm. And until we can kind of get past our own narrow-minded lens sometimes that we see the world through, we don't get to experience so many extraordinary folks that we think are too different or we won't understand them or we won't relate or whatever it might be. With the disability community, something I just wanted to really quickly touch on We are the largest minority group in the world of over 15% of the global population. And in the U.S., one in four people, so 25% of everyone in the United States has a disability. And yet more often than not, we don't hear anybody talking about disability inclusion. Or yeah. when companies are coming out with these multi-million or sometimes billion-dollar campaigns all about their diversity and inclusion and their equity, there's barely ever mention or inclusion or representation of disability. Yeah. And that is crazy. And so the first thing that we need to just, I think, address is we're here. There's so many of us that whether have a physical disability, an invisible disability, a mm-hmm. mental or an emotional condition, whatever it might be. And that's okay. Like that doesn't make anybody on a different planet from you or like on a different wavelength or whatever. It just means they are experiencing life in a bit of a different way than you are. That's it. So if we could have our own discomfort and hesitations with going up to somebody like me who stands just under four feet tall, obviously I'm 21. So from a distance, you can't really like get the MO about how old am I or whatever until you can talk to me. And it is, I think, one of the most beautiful things that we can do for somebody else to just ask them how their day is going, go up and say hi, ask them a question about their life. Obviously coming from a place of respect and empathy as much as possible, but I can tell you more often than not, people like me want to answer questions and want to open up about the life that we live in a certain capacity so that we can share with other people that again, we're here and and we're as much of a human being as you are. Just because I'm smaller, that doesn't really equate to me being any less. And so- no, Not at all. If, if we can ask questions, first and foremost, that is just one of the most powerful things that I think will move the needle forward for anybody who has felt like they aren't seen. And so that is on us. The next time you see somebody, whether they are with a disability, they are just completely alone and they don't have anybody to talk to, they're a senior citizen, any of those things, challenge yourself to just say hi, smile. You literally never know how much that is going to mean to that person. 
And I can tell you being on the receiving end, I would so much rather somebody ask me what I use my segue for or another question about me versus as I go past them, more often than not, people are like, they're just staring. All mm-hmm. that like they or they they whip out their phone and they start laughing or whatever it might be. And that does nothing other than obviously completely hurt the person who is the target and whatever. So that would be my challenge to everybody. Just ask questions. Don't think that you have to like be ignorant to things that you don't know just because you've never experienced or you've never been around somebody like that. It could not only change your entire perspective, but it could be obviously so meaningful to that person. And then I think the other huge thing is not trying to box people in. And Mm -hmm. what I mean by that, just because somebody has a disability or they fall into any of these other minority or underrepresented categories, that doesn't mean they know everything within that group. So one person with a disability is one person with a disability. One LGBTQ person is one LGBTQ person. All of these other things that we can't let one person's experience define how we live in the world. Like we could definitely use the experience and the value of how somebody else has lived their life. But we also need to welcome others in from other diverse backgrounds who may have a totally different life experience. Uh, A lot of people in the disability community, for example, have access to services if they have maybe physical conditions, but if they're on the mental side of things where they have mental conditions that have disability uh, and accessibility requirements, they don't get that same level of services sometimes. So there's just so many different things that I think the more if we talk about and raise awareness to, the more we just move the ball forward, period. I mean, hello. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's one of the best things I think you just said was, you know, challenge yourself to see the beauty and what the world has to teach you and challenge yourself to see the beauty and what the world has to offer you by learning about others' life experiences and how that actually does have a synergy within your own life experience. And that's a big question as to, you know, why this podcast is what this podcast is, is, you know, we talk about inspiring stories to hopefully have you start to identify what speaks truth to you. Um, because sometimes you need to hear somebody else talk about their truth to start to identify yours. Definitely. So Brandon, you're wonderful. And I just thank you so much. And we leave every episode by asking a couple questions that tap into what make you, you. And as we ever, we speak so often about building our personalized toolboxes to lend to our emotional journey. I want to know what served you in your last flare up or challenging moment changing my vibes. So I'm actually about to do the same in a couple of days, giving myself a little staycation and uh, just going away for a couple of days, even if it's a short car ride away, just to change the environment that I'm in and, and how valuable that could be in refilling my emotional batteries. All right. And then lastly, what are the three biggest lessons you've learned in your life these can be words, feelings, sayings, stories, basically whatever comes to your mind. Um, okay. So the first thing is never compare your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 20. We, especially with social media, it's so easy to fall into this uh, comparisonitis of really thinking we're not doing enough or we aren't enough or whatever, but we are completely enough. We are so worthy as we are. And so never compare yourself to anyone else. Number two is own your truth. If we don't first and foremost live in a place of self-acceptance and of course self-love, then we can't expect other people to treat us the way that we want to be treated. So it has Mm -hmm. to start with us first and foremost. And then number three, empathy is everything. Not only empathy for other people, but empathy for ourselves and having uh, just that grace to not 
shame or beat ourselves up for the things that we've been through or continuously go through. You're wonderful. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed having this conversation with you and a great reminder for my own self on the tools in which I need to apply and that there is still so much work to be done. You know, and I Always. think that that's one of the the wonderful things that you also brought to light today is there's still a lot of work to be done in in the fine tuning around allowing people to be accepted for who they are in just society. And how can we do better, either on just a emotional level, one on one, or in a bigger place of passing laws? You know, so it's a it's an amazing, amazing reminder, and I thank you for that. Uh, thank you for sharing. And if anybody else wants to hear more from Brandon or to check out any of his wonderful books, please go and head over to his Instagram or Twitter. It's at Farbstein. His Facebook is Farbstein Official. You have a new children's book coming out all around self-love, something in which we all needed when we were younger. Can you tell us more about it? Yes. So I'm so excited to be releasing my first children's book. It's called A Kid's Book About Self-Love. And it's all about this journey that is always evolving to finding our own inner self and accepting and loving that person for all that we are, all the uniqueness, all the differences. And of course, it kind of forming on my own personal story of how I had to go from a place of having no self-love and no inkling of acceptance towards the person that I used to be. And where I was able to get to that place and how it's always a work in progress. And I'm really excited to see this level of impact really be in a new way that I haven't had before with impacting children directly with this very impactful message. Thank you. I'm sending you so much love. Thank you so much, Haley. Loved this. Thank you. And if you are looking to continue the conversation around living an unapologetically authentic lifestyle, then this podcast is just for you. Our goal is to build a community in which you feel empowered to celebrate you by hearing inspiring stories of ownership to self. To always remember to lead with the three M's, that's mindfulness, movement, and mental engagement. You've got this, and we're here to support you along the way. So be sure to subscribe and download so you don't miss an episode. It's okay to not be okay in your journey to become grounded in the power of you. Some of the topics we discussed today may have been triggering. If you're in need to speak to a crisis counselor, please text home to 741-741 or head over to projecthealthyminds.com slash Haley for curated resources ready to hear from you. This has been a Stage 29 podcast production. The podcast is executive produced by Haley Hasselhoff, Patty Chiano, Laferne Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan DeMatty. Callie Kelts is the social media producer. And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Horenigay, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent company's affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the host and the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.